0: On today's programme, HSE boss Paul Reid on beefing up the booster vaccination programme. Women of Honour's Karina Malloy on why they feel they've been let down by the Minister. What happens with Covid business supports after the January cut-off deadline? Dublin traders brace themselves for further disruption as truckers and farmers plan more protests over fuel prices. And as Sinn Féin get another bump in the polls, Finance Minister promises tax cuts for the squeezed middle. Good afternoon and welcome to Saturday with Katie Hannan. My panel today, Robert Troy, Minister of State for Trade, Promotion, Digital and Company Regulation. Louise O'Reilly, Sinn Féin Spokesperson on Enterprise, Trade and Employment. And Pather Tobin, Leader of AinThu. You can text us on 51551, email saturday at rte.ie or tweet to at saturday rte. But first today we want to go to the Athlone studio where uh, CEO of the HSE, Paul Reid, joins me now. Good afternoon, Paul. Good afternoon, Katie. Uh, Paul, we learned yesterday uh, from a new analysis conducted by the UK Health Security Agency that COVID-19 booster shots could be up to 75% effective against preventing symptomatic infection from the Omicron variant. So do you think the HC can deliver 1.5 million booster vaccines by Christmas, as the Taoiseach indicated yesterday? Because we now see how hugely important that could be for us.
1: Yeah, you know, Katie, as we are, as you well know, rolling out through multiple channels now to target, which has been the initial vulnerable groups, which are just over about 2.2 million. And that includes all the people in long-term care facilities, those over 80s, over 70s, over 60s, over 50s. Uh, the medically vulnerable and indeed the immunocompromised for their third dose. Uh, that's a 2.2 million group. So we are looking at all of those who are eligible within that five-month period. And what we are saying is, two two parts of the answer to your question. Between now and the end of December, all of those in those groups of 2.2 million people will have either a being vaccinated. Uh, B, have received their appointment during uh, December, or C, have had the opportunity, and there'll be many opportunities for walking in between now and the end of December. So what we do expect is, as the Taoiseach outlined there yesterday by Christmas, uh, it, it all depends on take-up, but based on what we are seeing on take-up, we would expect to be around that 1.5 million mark. We are today, just to mention, about 1.16 million. Uh, in total between the boosters and the immunocompromised uh, to our dose completed. So we would expect to be in around that number, but just to our broader kind of focus is to target those vulnerable groups of 2.2 million by the end of December. And again, based on okay. the eligible five months criteria. Uh, w-
0: what about that, that cohort that was just mentioned there in the bulletin, the 40 to 49 year olds that they are now hearing they could be in line to, to get a booster vaccine before Christmas?
1: No, we haven't communicated anything out like that. And once we are in a position, if there's any uh, communication that we 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 will put that out to the minister. But right now we've only opened up to 50 groups uh, just late last week. Uh, that's our target focus right now to work through that. We obviously watch this on a real-time basis based on take-up and follow-through and completion and to make sure we've a full follow-through but right now that's the target group that w- those okay, target so groups we Okay, so
0: you're not putting together any, any uh, roll-out for the 40 to 49-year-olds yet?
1: Even. Oh, we, we've always a rollout plan. planned. I mean, this is always a rolling rollout uh, to use the phrase uh, but we haven't publicly communicated communicate out yet in terms of the 40, 49s our target focus groups are exactly those that I've just brought you through. But if, if there's any Changed that, and we have always done it. I mean, we had originally planned. Yeah,
0: I'm, sorry, I'm ju- I'm st- sorry, Paul. I'm just trying to start, have. Ha, ha, do you know anything about this? Because, because. Mihal Lahan was just reporting there in the bulletin that the indications from government today suggest uh, that the boosters for this group will begin to be made available by the end of next week.
1: We certainly haven't. I didn't hear the bulletin. Katie, apologies, because I was just getting wired up here in the, in sure. the studio. But um, we certainly, if there's any immediate change in that, we will communicate it out to the minister. But right now, we haven't done that yet. And right now, our target groups it those okay. initially. Just to make the point, our, our target group for 50s were. You know, we, we started that well in advance of when we planned. So we'll continuously monitor that. And, and if there is a change and if there's a formal announcement on that, it will come through the Minister.
0: Now, you mentioned yesterday, Paul, that you are going to extend the opening times for, for those walk-in centres, uh, you know, to, to, to try to address those long queues that we've been hearing about. How many of those walk-in centres are in operation today?
1: Yeah well we've 33 sites actually more than 33 sites because we've some satellite sites often but we've 33 sites and the vast majority of those sites between now and tomorrow will have walk-ins um, but I w- just make the point as well it's not just throughout the weekend I would encourage everybody watch our site hse.ie there's a full listing there today of what's open today and what hours they're open for uh, and what target groups they're focusing for walk-ins uh, and similar for tomorrow and but and equally throughout this week And have
0: you extended the hours of opening at, at this Point?
1: Yeah, we've extended both the hours and uh, we've extended the numbers of centres that are operating on walk ins. Uh, And again, what we are trying to do, Katie, is get the balance between appointments. Mm -hmm. Appointments are still a key focus of us. So I would say to people, you know, if you uh, do intend to go to a walk-in, that's good. Keep keep an eye on our site. But you will get an appointment. uh, And our appointments are still our primary focus, giving people appointments out through text. And the walk-ins are indeed an enhanced option as well. And indeed appointments through GPS.
0: And can I ask you, do you have adequate staff? Uh, in those centres now, manning particularly those walk-in centres, because we are hearing that in Clonmel Park Hotel this morning, the the queue, queue time was two hours twenty minutes. UCD this morning was two and a half hours. Is there is it a question of inadequate staffing?
1: Now, look, we've resourced up our centres extremely well uh, over the last few weeks, and indeed we'll continue to do it. If you look at our resourcing in total, we've several thousand people now vaccinating all across the country. vast majority of the sites, you know, you will see on a Saturday morning, because I understand it's a time that suits people uh, to go in, but vast majority of our sites have been coping really well with walk-ins and indeed their appointments. I was in a, a couple of sites, uh, vaccination centres yesterday, uh, and they are coping quite well. Uh, but you do see a surge where I understand that it suits people on a Saturday morning and people surge into it. But what I would say is, people, watch your social media oh, But UD to be site. fair
0: now, Paul Reed, there's the, you know there's been a surge every day then, if that's the case, because we've been seeing these queues all week.
1: Well, well just to make a point, Katie, I think what we have seen, particularly in the UCD site uh, specifically, and, and indeed one or two other sites. But, you know, right throughout the week, we've been running uh, about 22... Uh, on average sites uh, on any given day for walk-ins and uh, primarily being Copenhagen. I fully accept uh, in, if you take the case of UCD today, it was planned to open for three hours from nine till twelve o'clock. Uh, they opened it at a quarter to eight and uh, commenced uh, vaccination Or uh, we put it out on our site uh, at the queuing time and we put it out on our site at what time we would have to stop it and they were advising people on the queue to go to some of our other centres that weren't experiencing queues, for example City West, uh, you know, is coping well. So we are we are working through these sites. There are peak times where you get it, but I would say to people, you know, there's no need to have an urgent panic on just yet. We will be communicating now with people appointments, and the options and the centres are generally working through walk-ins reasonably well across the country. Uh,
0: with the the half a million uh, primary school children, and you know, about now to begin a, a vaccination program, are you planning to recruit extra vaccinators? Um, because uh, we we had a call in this program last week for the army to be brought in like would that be something that should be considered? No,
1: well, just specifically on the army, the, the defence forces, and I want to commend them. They continuously provide great supports for us, and indeed, are strengthening their supports for us. And it's not for, uh, specifically for vaccination; it's primarily around the logistics of supplies uh, that they supplies with, particularly in our larger centres. And they provide a great support for us. We're very grateful. On the resourcing front, we've continuously resourced up, and we are. And if you look at the three channels in which we're now currently operating, we now have the GPs, and we're really grateful for them. You know, seventy-five percent of the GPs are now continue to vaccinate whereas if you like in the dose one dose two campaigns You know, they would have ceased at a certain point in time. We would continue just with vaccination centres. Our pharmacies are extremely ramping up. We have over 500 pharmacies now on board. They've gone from about 5,000 per week to just about 30,000 per week. We do expect in January as well, uh, more pharmacies to come on board. And to get close to 1,000 pharmacies on board, December is obviously a a busy period for them from a retail perspective. Uh, But we do expect more of them to come on board. And then specifically on our vaccination centres, we are putting in place uh, more resourcing continued more resourcing uh, some extra hours and indeed some extra centres as we're moving through this process so specifically to your question on the nines to or sorry the five to eleven year olds we're finalizing the whole program in relation to that uh, part of it is resourcing but there's more specific plans that we're focusing on in relation to that young age group and it is around the public information campaign the ICT changes that we're making to the system the whole consent process the clinical guidance that's going to be really important the logistics the stories these are going to have to be dedicated centres where we're using vaccination centres we have to if you like clean down a centre and start it again for for these younger kids obviously uh, and the whole communications that will go around when we've been engaged with focus groups with parents so a lot of a lot of preparation for the 5 to 11-year-olds.
0: When you talk about the communications issue there with with the primary school children, would you accept that the messaging has been poor around the booster campaign? Uh, You know, that uh, people are very confused about the text messages. They're being directed to, to, you know, uh, websites with huge amount of information, uh, leaving them very, very wondering where they should go, you know, what they should do.
1: Well, look, I think in in simple terms, we are doing it differently this time, there's no doubt, than the first time a dose one, dose two. And that is to give people uh, multiple options so that we can progress through particularly those vulnerable groups and that's most important for us we can progress through so if you look at the first time yes there were just dedicated channels where people could go to so if I'm a certain age group I only went to a vaccination centre this time we're giving people multiple options the last time we were looking at kind of single cohorts working through now we're working through multiple cohorts at the same time at last time we were working down through the ages one by one 59 year olds 58 year olds this, this time to progress quickly We're working through 10-year groups. Uh, And the last time we were primarily using uh, appointment-driven, this time we're using a combination of appointment-driven centres and some walk-ins. So, you know, um, it, it is geared towards giving people uh, greater options but what I will say to make it simple for people you will receive an appointment and that's a key focus for us people will receive the other channels are there as options which are walk-ins and potentially appointment through your GP as well uh, and uh, equally walking through a primary a pharmacy as well
0: Okay so if you don't want to go out and queue at a walk-in uh, you will if you sit tight get an appointment
1: Once um, you're in these groups as we're progressing okay. through them and you're eligible you will get an appointment
0: Okay So um, can I ask you about the contact tracing um, piece? Because uh, we see now that's new guidelines issued yesterday by the uh, Health Protection Surveillance Centre that all passengers on flights with a confirmed case of Omicron will be contact traced now. Uh, when does that come into effect?
1: Yeah, our HPSC site just updated very recently in relation to that, and that's largely geared towards, we would always do this at the early stages of where we have particular concerns around an emerging variant, and in, in this case it's Omicron, uh, and we would have done it at the early stage of Delta two always geared towards keeping people safe. What's with specific guidance on our site there now is uh, an approach we'll be taking is the uh, if you know if people have travelled on a flight from and the designated countries are listed uh, on our site, uh, and in cases where a positive COVID case has been identified, um, you know then we would kick in certain um, enhanced contact tracing procedures. Uh, so that, as listed, two rows uh, from where it's a one one, po- one probable case, two rows in all directions would be contact trace. If there's a second uh, probable case. Uh, the whole flight will be contact trace. And if we do have a confirmed Omicron case, uh, equally, the whole flight will be traced, And that's geared towards just trying to aim to strengthen the protection. Uh, OK, in so terms
0: of j- just to be clear, because I know there'll be thousands and thousands of people flying into this country now over the next couple of weeks for Christmas. So if you arrive here and it turns out that somebody on your flight has tested positive for, or two people on your flight has tested positive, or there is a case of Omicron on that flight, what will that mean for you? Well, it,
1: it will. the, the two people who've tested positive will de- will depend on if they've come from designated countries, if you like, uh, which are uh, countries of concern related to it. But in terms of the contact tracing, what it what it does mean is our contact tracers will contact all the people on that flight where does instance arrive, uh, and they will be um, obviously sent forward for PCR testing, etc. But all of all of these. i like, well, just, has just been People updated. will wonder:
0: Will they have? Will they be stuck in quarantine for Christmas? Basically, if somebody on their flight.
1: Now well look this this site and we're just updating this information on it and I would ask people to go to our HSE site as we're updating it, but it, it is put in an enhanced process in place for contact tracing. we would have done these enhanced contact tracing processes uh, for the, the emerging delta variant as well. so I'd ask people to just look at our site on it.
0: but yeah, but can we give somebody some guidance that there will be there will be requirements for quarantine if if you are happen to be on a, a flight where, Omicron is detected?
1: Yeah, well, the policy around quarantine is obviously a policy for that government will determine uh, and when that would kick in. So that, that would be a policy... Uh, perspective and I know the uh, progression of that through uh, the minister, etc., is, is happening, but that will be. I'd ask people to just stay tuned in terms of that one. But that ultimately is a policy decision for government, and guidance will emerge from based on that.
0: Okay, so keep, mm. keep on standby for further guidance in relation to that contact yeah. tracing. Okay, can I just ask you before you go the cyber attack? Um, Back in May, Paul Reid, you described the cyber attack on the health service as very sophisticated. But of course, we now know from the report that uh, came out yesterday that, in fact, the HSE missed successive red flags that, if acted on, could have averted the disaster that that, that unfolded. Like, that's a pretty damning finding, isn't it? That it wasn't really a sophisticated attack, that the HSE just wasn't looking for it.
1: Well, just a couple of points on this. And Firstly, and I do want to make the point... Um, It's often commonly referred to as the PwC report. We, myself as CEO, the chairman of the HSE and the board of the HSE, commissioned this report because we did want a fully independent, transparent and open report published in terms of not just for ourselves in terms of the learning from this one, but equally for other government agencies and departments and indeed private private organisations. So we were very anxious to publish all of the findings related to this and uh, we have seen very positive take-up even from the UK of people recognising the transparency in the report. But specifically to your question, yes, it has, and yes, there's tough elements of reading this, where it has identified areas of very significant weakness uh, for ourselves in terms of cyber capacity, skills, resourcing, and it's not a, a damning impact on our, our current people who work hard in our ICT organisation, but it is specifically about the real threats uh, of for every organisation of having these very specific skills, competencies, capabilities. Uh, around cyber and yes the report does identify where we would get about 50 of these threats in any given week uh, and they would be identified and addressed uh, but in this case it, it wasn't addressed uh, to the extent and the significance that it should have been addressed and, and that's that's one of the key findings of the report there are many findings and recommendations on the report around um, you know we do have a very a very siloed, uh, unintegrated ICT system. It's ICT system. It's built on a whole legacy of networks from the regions, from health boards to hospital groups. And CHOs. given that we
0: still have that system, are we still vulnerable? Or is the HSE still vulnerable to a, a subsequent attack? You said yourself that there is often uh, a reattack of, of of targets that have already been targeted.
1: Yeah, and I think the I think the, the massive learning for all organisations in this and I heard it covered in your business show this morning, uh, uh, Pat Moran from PwC, is, is, is everybody needs to be on a continued state of vulnerability. Certainly, as you have been hit, there's a, a high frequency Uh, people being re-hit again what we have done specifically in relation to mitigate those risks are a range of actions not just waiting on the report but we have appointed or put in place uh, an agency an an international firm uh, who do 24 by 7 monitoring of us it's it's a service operation centre on our network we put enhanced security controls around access to our network and service we put in place what's called multi-factor authentication. so as people are accessing our systems we go through one or two or three verifications to ensure that is the individual concerned uh, a whole set of enhancements around emails and what people get in and the screening of those emails uh, okay. and we are recruiting uh, currently now uh, to for skilled resources but we will be embracing the full elements report we will be bringing a business case forward to government okay. uh, for an investment in our networks
0: okay okay paul reed we'll leave it there many thanks for joining us today i believe i put you into the wrong studio you're actually joining <laughs> us from the sligo
1: no studio
0: uh, but thank you for your time today um, now if I can go to Robert Troy, um, who is in our Athlone studio, uh, Robert, just going back to to the, that booster uh, sh- uh, shot uh, question. Do you know anything about this this uh, report that forty to forty nine year olds are going to be called or, or, or are expected to be called before Christmas?
2: I don't. <coughs> excuse me, I don't, Katie, but I I would expect if that if there is a change in the age profile of people that are are to be called, Will then a a public uh, information campaign uh, will uh, alert people to that fact. But at this moment in time, I'm not aware that we have moved the age bracket down to 40 plus.
0: Um, You know, when you look in the queues there again today uh, at UCD and in Clonmel and no doubt in other, other places around the country, Going back to what the Taoiseach said in the Dole this week about people having a lack of urgency, uh, you know, when it comes to these third doses, these booster shots. Is it time to just kind of dismiss that out of hand now and accept that the difficulties were within the the management of the booster programme and not with people's desire to get vaccinated?
2: Well, I think Ireland has a strong record in relation to our vaccination uh, uh, rollout um, initially and now even with the booster campaign we're still in the top four in Europe in terms of rolling out of the booster c- campaign and I think we should acknowledge that uh, and that's a welcome development but there are a number of uh, challenges identified and um, those challenges are being addressed we have uh, multiple, avari- multiple options for people to get the booster ca- vaccination, whether it be through their GP, their pharmacy, uh, through a scheduled uh, booster clinic or through a walk-in clinic, and there's different IT systems which has led to challenges. But I think what I take from this is the number of people who are responding to the public health advice, the number of people who are responding to the scientific advice that are going in willingly getting these vaccinations, and by doing so, they're protecting themselves, their families and their wider community. So.
0: Okay, just bring in Louise O'Reilly on that. So this
3: week in the Dáil, the uh, the T-shirt tried to chastise people and blame them and say that they weren't turning up for their vaccines. Uh, I think that was very disrespectful. In fact, we saw that people were queuing. We also saw that there were major issues with the appointment system. So I have a relative who's been... She's not eligible uh, because she's recovering from Covid. She's been called now four times, hasn't been able to cancel using the system. So there were serious flaws on the side of provision of the boosters that led to queues. There there was mixed messaging in relation to whether or not it is a booster, is it a third shot. Nobody uh, seems to be able to speak with one voice on this from government. And then into the middle of this, while people are standing outside queue and desperate to get the, uh, the, the third shot or the booster, whatever name you put on it, the Taoiseach starts wagging his fingers at them and saying that actually the problem lies with the people people and not the system and the people are not turning up. Clearly they are turning up. Another thing that I, I found a little bit uh, disturbing this morning, Katie, or this afternoon when you were talking to Paul Reed, and you asked how many uh, sites were offering walk-ins, he said 33 sites are open and the majority are offering walk-ins. Now, why can't we have the number? Why can't we just have the, the basic information? How many? Head of the HSE, you know, earning over 400 grand a year and you can't say how many pe- how many sites are offering walk-ins at the moment. You know, it's all very well to say you will get an appointment but people clearly want to uh, to get the third dose or the booster and again I would encourage the government to uh, solidify their message on this. Is it a third dose? Is it a booster? <clears throat> but people clearly want that added level right. of well, protection would you accept but they th- th- that they haven't been able it- to get it because they've been left in queues because the system
0: is not responding quick enough. But well, would you accept what? What Paul Reid was saying there was that there is a significant number of walk-ins centres. you know, he said the majority of them would be offering walk-ins and that the majority of them don't have queues today. Oh, uh, well, look, I don't know All I do. I see people who are queuing
3: and I see people who are ringing my constituency office yesterday and, and uh, they want to talk to me about the fact that they are desperate to get it, but they can't get it. They've joined queues mm. in one instance. A person went from one side to another. They queued in both and were turned away in both. So there is a, see, there is an issue there. And if it is a case that they just need to publicise where they are, mm-hmm. what we need to hear from Paul Reid then is not just the majority are doing them, but where are doing them and how can people access them? And I think that was the, the sort of message that we should be getting from from
4: of Paul Reed, he's not able to say that there isn't enough staff to be honest because Paul can't criticise the government's provision of staff on this uh, in reality there is it's is, 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 is demand and supply there is more demand than there is currently supply so that means there isn't enough provision currently of the necessary resource uh, to, to roll out the booster the second point in this is and I had a debate in this studio at the start of this crisis, because at the very start of the rollout of the initial phase of the vaccine, we had confusion over different lists as well. And people were on one list and on a consultant list or on a doctor's list. And some people with stage four cancer who were terminally ill were on no lists at that time, which is incredible. And it, it goes back to that simple point is we don't have a central database of patients in this country. Countries like Denmark can roll out efficiently because they do. I've even spoken to cancer specialists who can glean great information from the north of Ireland with regards outcomes for cancer patients but can't do it in the south because we don't have a patient database in this state. And until the day we do, we're going to be meeting this type of crisis all the time.
2: Uh, Robert Troy? I think, you know... People are losing to the fact, uh, and they're saying about how how it's going at other places in, in, internationally. We're still in the top four in Europe in terms of the rollout of our camp- uh, of our booster campaign. We had one of the most successful cam- rollout of our initial vaccination campaign in the world with ninety three percent. And if you go online, and I went online this morning, there is very clear guidance in terms of where the where the walk in centres are, where the centre the, the opening time, the people who are available to go there. I had the experience myself, my own. Peer and Law got their call during the week. They went to a centre in Longford, very efficient, okay. got their got their appointment and went. There is challenges and we're acknowledging there is challenges. And I, I'm not ongoing. hearing much acknowledgement of challenges there, Robert. But, but No, but I don't want to say that the whole thing is not working because that would be inaccurate. But there what, are challenges and there is work ongoing to address those challenges. But there is many, many positives in this what, campaign and we shouldn't lose sight of that. Where is and an the centralised mo- database, and, Robert, and the, and with regards to
4: patients and, in the state?
2: And the most positive campaign is that the people are turning up to have their vaccine. Vaccination, that people are responding to the public health advice, that people are responding to the scientific advice, that people want to protect themselves, their families, so you, and they know by doing have, so,
4: by getting their vaccination. We have vaccination okay. centres, we have GPs, we have pharmacies, we have people cancelling. We have people who have had vaccines, but that information hasn't been updated on the HSE, so the HSE are still sending out um, okay. uh, in, we invitations. Often, we,
2: are, we are often people... Op- options of where they can go and get their vaccine. It's important that we do that. Okay. People are responding to that and while there are challenges in the in the round things are going better.
0: Okay. Okay, we'll take a break there but we will be talking to the women of honor after this. Saturday with Katie Hannan on RTÉ Radio 1. Now, last September, RTE broadcast the Women of Honour documentary in which former female members of the Defence Forces outlined their experiences of discrimination, harassment, sexual assault and rape at the hands of colleagues and senior officers, as well as how poorly they were treated when they complained. In the wake of the documentary, Defence Minister Simon Coveney promised to engage with the Women of Honour to put in place an independent external review to investigate how complaints were handled. Shortly before we came on air, I spoke to the spokesperson for the Women of Honour, retired quartermaster. Sergeant Corina Malloy, I began by reminding her that when she was last on this programme, she said she was happy with the Minister's initial response and asked her what had happened since
5: then. Since then, they have um, gone ahead with writing their draft terms of reference for their independent review. It was always our intention and our wish and request that we have a commission of inquiry with full statutory um, investigation powers. That was always on our agenda and now suddenly they came up with the terms of reference which um, we got and we were asked to take back and, and review as a group. And, and when, when we looked at them we just didn't, f- we weren't happy and we immediately um, emailed them back and said no we're not happy with this at all. And why not? Like, what was the minister proposing in these terms of reference? Yeah, well, first of all, the, the minister, uh, is, it's his department that the complaint system is, is, is looking at. The complaint system, uh, which, which they uh, govern over. So therefore, how, how can they write the terms of reference? We always thought when we were told that we would have an independent facilitator to do such a thing and that we would be brought into a room with all the other stakeholders and allowed to trash out their version of the terms of reference.
0: Yeah, that there would be like a workshop to yeah to get a to workshop uh, agree terms of reference. Yeah,
5: mm-hmm. and, and that that didn't happen. No, that hasn't happened. It has been offered to us, and then when we looked for it, they said, "Oh no, all the other stakeholders have gone ahead and put in their submissions, so you're the only group that hasn't. So therefore, we feel that we don't need this independent facilitating workshop."
0: And the terms of reference that have been presented to you now, what's, mm. what's wrong with them in, in your view? What's, what's, your wrong, problem what's, with
5: them? what's wrong with them? The big, the big problem is, first of all, that they're writing them and that it's, it's a non-independent and not a statutory process because all they're looking at is the, the the effectiveness and and they're assessing the effectiveness and the current policies and procedures that are in place. I mean, the current policies and procedures that are in place have already been acknowledged by himself, by the Minister of Defence, the Secretary-General and the Chief of Staff, that they are not working and they're not serving the, the, the members of the Defence Forces as we speak, because there's current problems ongoing. So, therefore, it's proven that the effectiveness of the policies and procedures is just not being effective. So this is what we've always wanted, radical change. And... Uh, there was an issue as well about uh, compelling
0: compelling witnesses, the compellability issue.
5: Yes, on on their draft terms of reference, they're saying that they're not going to compel witnesses; that they're just going to listen to the to the incidents of the victims. And you see, the problem is, we want them to delve into what happens after the victims put put in their 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 complaint. And that once again, they are protecting themselves as a department and they're also protecting, as, as usual, protecting the, the perpetrator.
0: Why, why do you say that now? What, what, in what way would these terms of reference protect the department
5: and the perpetrators? Because they're not being investigated. The, the incidents are not being investigated. We're being allowed to tell our stories, but they're not investigating as to what went wrong with the investigation and how to rectify it how to stem out the, 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 the toxic culture. We, we don't want our historic um, incidents to be overhauled. We don't want any review or any commission wasting time doing that. What we want the commission to do is to investigate in all of the incidents that have been given to, to this company, Race a Concern, all the incidents there, that they will have that on, on paper, to realise what exactly happened, what exactly went wrong with the investigation. How did the, the victim get re-victimized what went wrong this is the failing to to, to investigate the failings of the department in during their investigation now,
0: We've had uh, a statement from the department uh, when we, we informed that the, that you were going to be on the programme today. Mm-hmm. They told us that uh, the Department of Defence shared draft terms of reference with the relevant stakeholders on October 21st for an independent review into the matters brought to light by the Women of Honour Group. Uh, at this stage in the process, the department has received feedback from all stakeholders other than this Women of Honour Group. Uh, we are keen to progress the review without delay and would welcome the continued engagement uh, And to meet the Women of Honour group and further meetings, including facilitated meetings, have been offered by the department. These offers were put forward again last week and yesterday. And uh, the statement concludes the group are welcome to bring whom they wish to the
5: meeting. Um, Yes, that was. We we got an email back from the minister at the late hour of ten past five yesterday evening. Where he conceded that yes, we can bring in our legal advisers into that, the meeting. That had been a sticking point. That for had you. been a sticking point because he said it was um, said that that this is not this is not a legal process, that we are not changing any legislation here, but that is what we wish to change. We wish to change it. So just to be clear, you
0: had been told that you were not allowed to have a legal adviser with you at these meetings with the department Yes,
5: because it was an illegal process
0: that was, the terms, in which it was That's put. the terms in which it was put and as you say as of yesterday evening you have now been told that you can bring uh, as i say here whom you wish to yes, further whom meetings we
5: wish. but but to to what aim because as far as we're we're concerned now they've written the terms of reference and this is what they're they're running with but we are we are thankful that, that he has changed his position and allowing us to bring in our, our legal advisor and that we, we will uh, be very welcome and we welcome the chance of going in, into the room again to, to rediscuss things and how to bring things forward. But just to be clear, you're saying that if the Minister goes
0: ahead with the review, you know, along the lines of the terms of reference that, that you have been presented with... <clears throat> That you are not going to co- to to cooperate or, or to support that.
5: Yeah. In all fairness, we we can't be part of such a flawed uh, and unfit for purpose process, because we 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 have the responsibility of all the victims that that are that are banking on us to to make a, a huge impression and to and for for we have the responsibility to to once and for all bring about radical change and to to root out the systemic toxic culture in in the defence forces. And this this um this system won't won't do it. this review will not do it. Now he has promised to if the review board comes back and says, "Right, well, we've realized that that our recommendations are to do an inquiry." and he, he assured us that that would happen. But what we're saying is, why don't you skip the independent review to review processes that are obviously not working then and go straight to the commission of inquiry with full statutory investigation powers. That's what we wanted. Why waste taxpayers' money on a, on a review? Following this uh, email
0: yesterday evening, uh, saying that you know offering more meetings and and saying you can bring who you want, will you now engage further with the department?
5: Well, we have to bring to the group because the email came in so late, and we're all uh, normal working people and working mothers and with children and other responsibilities. We have yet to bring all the group together in a Zoom call, hopefully tomorrow and we will discuss it and make a, make a, a collective decision. But I can see us, yes, yes, of course, we'll go back in because we want to stay in, in the system of, of making radical change.
0: Can I ask you why did you come in to us today to, to,
5: to explain what's been happening? Be, because we weren't happy, and we, we've made it clear to, to the Minister and to the Secretary-General over the last four weeks with correspondence that we weren't happy with their proposed terms of reference. And we felt that we were getting nowhere. We were being railroaded into an express train that we didn't want to get on. Because all the other stakeholders have got on on that train. And we're still standing on the platform because they've changed the destination. Karina Malai, many thanks for coming into us today. Thank you very much, Katie, for inviting me. And uh,
0: we've got a statement here from um, the Defence Forces. Uh, i just give you one line out of it. The Chief of Staff has stated that he is dedicated to ensuring that the work environment of Ogligna Heron is a safe, enriching and rewarding one for all who serve and that the pervading culture in the workplace is underpinned by the principles of dignity, equality, mutual respect and duty of care. Um, Robert Troy... <sighs> What do you have to say to Karina Malloy and the Women of Honour there? She says the process that they've been presented with is flawed and unfit for purpose.
2: Well, firstly, you know, government accepts the stories of the Women of Honour. And that's why uh, back in October they put in place a counselling service for both existing and retired members of the Defence Forces to help them uh, with their horrendous ex- uh, experience um, government has afforded priority to this issue. Secretary-General of the Department has met on a number of occasions with this group. Uh, Minister Coveney has met with this group. And we want to ensure uh, that the system is improved, that there's an adequate system in place to ensure the be- benefit and the perfect per- protection uh, of the serving members. I want to reassure Karina uh, Maloya and the other women that this independent review is just that, totally independent. It give, it's given access uh, to rec- records, to the personnel, uh, the terms of reference but is based... But no,
0: nobody will be compelled to, to, no witness will be compelled to give evidence.
2: The, the terms of reference is based on the Canadian, the US and the UK, uh, where there was similar issues uh, in relation to workplace issues in their defence forces, um, that is totally independent of the department and the defence forces, and, and, and crucially... Um, if this uh, review recommends uh, a, a, a further commission of investigation the terms but, of reference explicitly provides an opportunity for that i welcome the fact that um but but the group but, but is not going,
0: go going to cooperate with the terms of reference that they've been presented with
2: well, Can this go forward? Well, well, these are draft terms of reference and um, what I welcome the fact is that the group are, are accepting the invitation uh, of the letter that was issued by Minister Coveney yesterday. They are going to go back in. There is a, a, a okay. very real desire on part of government uh, to ensure that this is addressed and it can be addressed through Thank consultation me, and, and I have no doubt um, and I welcome the fact that they're going back in to engage okay. next week. Okay,
0: okay. Lu- Louise O'Reilly.
3: Okay, so firstly uh, I want to just salute the bravery of women like Karina Malloy and the women of honour. Um, I think it's important to say that that we hear you, that we believe you um, and that we understand uh, how let down you must be feeling uh, right now. Um, you know, the terms of reference need to be sufficient to deal with what Carina herself described as systemic toxic culture and the terms of reference are not fit for purpose the women of honour themselves should have had proper input into those terms of reference and in order for the government to make good on what they say they want they want to treat these women with respect the best way to treat them with respect is to listen to what they're saying to ensure that they have an input and to ensure that, uh, that they have the commission of inquiry that they had looked for not another investigation into whether or not there's going to be an inquiry the facts of this have been established the government were quick to run to microphones to say how how sorry they were and how brave they felt the women were and all of that but that amounts to absolutely nothing if they don't deliver the commission of inquiry that the women need they shouldn't have to keep telling their stories over and over and over again. They deserve to be treated with dignity and respect and the government need to step up and do exactly that the first place to start is by listening to them and ensuring that they have a meaningful input into these terms of reference they clearly have not done that today. Had had had, 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 no,
4: do I, do I I'll just said Pather,
0: Toby, and i let you back in then, Minister.
4: Thank I you. think that the government should be ashamed of themselves. Uh, I think that the government have lied to these women. Um, remember that there's sexual abuse, there's discrimination, and there's bullying here. But the most important element of this is the systemic nature of this. So what the government's review is to look at is specific incidents, but it's not a, an independent external investigation over the systemic element of this. Um, and actually, you know, what what the government has done is been patronising. They have... An, Invited. Okay, if just
0: just be careful about our language, though, in terms of in terms of saying that they were lied to. Well,
4: okay. Well, well, the the women have have been told from the start that they would have an external, independent investigation. This is not what they were, were told that they would have. And indeed, I think they've been patronised by the government because they've been they've been tapped on the head and said, okay, we've listened to, but listen, we've done the terms of reference, and you need to accept these terms of reference now. It's it's so frustrating that. You know, there's an opportunity here for the government and, and Simon Coveney should see this as an opportunity to radically reform the armed forces so that people don't have to go through 25 years of having their careers negatively impacted because a, an individual committed a, a crime against them and nothing was ever done around it. And the, the, the idea that everybody has submitted a, 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 their terms of reference except for the actual stakeholders who this is about in the first place i actually think there's a choreography around this there's the government giving their mayor culpa you know beating their their, their chest but in the end of the day refusing to make sure that this is this issue is properly fixed uh, uh, entirely. And and if they don't do this, there'll be no accountability and nothing will change okay. for the women and men in the armed forces to this is happening. Camilla okay, okay, Malloy
3: said, sorry Katie if I could very briefly, no, she said she, fe- briefly. she feels like they have been railroaded and I think you know, Minister, you should address that, that feeling, that those women feel that they have been railroaded. Please, please take some action to ensure that, uh, that this gets back on track and that the, the oh. process actually delivers for the women who have been so so badly impacted okay.
2: by this. OK, Robert, Robert Troy. But just firstly, no one is patronising the women. Um, the government wants to help.
4: And we'll that's, why they,
2: that's why they patronised. That's why they have responded so swiftly to this. There has been numerous meetings uh, at very senior level within the department, uh, taking on board what the women are saying. The minister has written uh, to the group yesterday offering to meet with them again, offering them to bring their own legal representative uh, to that meeting uh, so that can work on uh, these are draft terms of reference the terms of reference have not been set these are draft terms of reference and we do want to get to the bottom of this and we do want to ensure that the defence forces is a a safe place a place where people um, can carry out and have uh, a a proper career without being subjected to uh, what these women have been subjected to in the past and that can be a achieved. And to say that uh, this is somewhat um, not independent, that is not true. The this uh, review is totally and utterly independent of the, the Defence the Forces. Department and Department created totally the terms of reference. And totally and utterly de- independent mm-hmm. of the Department. And the terms of reference is based on similar terms of reference where similar uh, incidents happened in Canada, in the US and the UK. Why not but, accept but the ne- but, women's terms but, of reference? But, but next week, next week, the women... We'll have an opportunity to come in and engage and have an input into the draft terms of reference.
0: Okay, okay, we'll 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 we'll, uh, watch that space as they say we will take a break. Tweet at Saturday RTE. And you're welcome back. Now that 100 euro credit for everyone in the audience uh, to go towards the cost of electricity in the new year, Uh, Minister, is that just a blatant? Attempt, political attempt to buy votes, you know, giving the 100 euro not just to those who are, uh, you know, facing into fuel poverty uh, around this winter, uh, but to even the wealthiest of households.
2: Well, I think you have to take it in, in, in context. It, this is in addition to the specific targeted measures that was introduced in the budget, Budget 2022, which has, which has targeted measures for lower-income households, which increases the fuel allowance, which has broadens the threshold for people who are eligible to qualify for the fuel allowance, which increased the core social welfare rate, increased the live-alone allowance, and increased the adult-dependent allowance. So this is not... Uh, uh, it, to be looked at in isolation it should be looked at in addition to the specific targeted measures for the low income families what this is a uh, proposal and it hasn't got it hasn't been ratified by cabinet yet my understanding is minister Ryan is bringing a proposal to cabinet uh, next week and what If it is adopted, what it'll see is that there will be a universal support uh, in acknowledgement to uh, the huge spike in energy prices, which is not just unique to Ireland. Unfortunately, it is a global issue. But what this will do is it will give benefit to the vast majority of people who have seen their energy prices increase uh, over the last number of months and who will increase in January and February, particularly during the winter period. Unfortunately, some people uh, will avail of this who don't necessarily need it. But the vast majority of people who will avail of it do need it and it will benefit them.
0: We're hearing today that it could take until March to enact the legislation that we need, apparently, to give effect to this Should we not think, is it time to go back to the drawing board and come up with a better plan that's targeted at the people who actually do desperately need it?
2: Well, I I don't know where you're hearing uh, from that it could be March. Uh, This hasn't even gone to Cabinet yet. Uh, So I think what we should do is wait and see what proposal actually goes to Cabinet next Tuesday, what is accepted by Cabinet next Tuesday and the time frame for implementation on it.
3: Louise Wright. I mean, clearly this is nothing... Uh, other than a bit of a PR stunt on behalf of the government. The announcement was made without any detail at all. We were reading about it in the paper on Friday morning, yet when the issue was discussed in the doll and raised by Piers Daherty on Thursday, it wasn't even mentioned. So I think this is a bit of a knee-jerk reaction. Uh, Sinn Féin certainly has been calling on the government to take action on the f- spiralling cost of living, including the cost of energy uh, for months and months and months now. It is welcome that they appear to be listening uh, at the very least uh, to the, the urgency. Uh, that we were trying to (laughs) convey to them. Unfortunately, now we haven't seen the proposal. We know that it's only going to uh, impact on electricity bills. People use oil, they use gas to heat their homes. And the simple fact is, Katie, that people's homes are going to be cold over Christmas because they cannot afford to heat them while the government is dithering about, you know, when is an announcement of policy and when is a policy going to be implemented? And when are they going to actually see some recognition from the government that we're in the midst of a cost of living crisis, not just energy, but that is very, very, the that's just the simply positive. not fair. But that's again, fair. you know, the, there is an urgency to this that we don't hear from uh, from the government. Sinn Féin's been calling on them to take action on energy costs now for months. And as we see, you know, uh, lastminute.com as usual, but people's homes are cold. They're going to be cold over Christmas. People are going to have to spend more time in their homes. The cost of heating has gone okay. through the okay. roof okay. and see, people don't just uh, use the, the ESB and electricity to heat their homes. They use gas, they use oil. Um, also, I want to hear from the minister and hopefully he'll get a chance to say, how are people who are or on prepaid meter is going to be impacted by this because they are at the business end of this yeah, crisis. Yeah. Minister,
0: is there, is there a response to that? It has has that been thought through?
2: Let's be very clear. This is not an eject reaction. This is in addition to targeted specific measures that was announced in October in terms of the budget that's kicking in on the 1st of January for low income families, increase in fuel allowance, uh, the widening of the threshold for fuel allowance, etc. What this is, is an acknowledgement to the continuous uh, increase in the cost of fuel. And because of that, there Increase in sorry. energy supply prices. This will be brought to cabinet next Tuesday. That
0: and question, Minister. Sorry to cut across you. That question about people who are on prepaid meters. But
2: I can't preempt what's going to cabinet next Tuesday. But the fact that what has been indicated is it will be a universal s- support, and people on prepaid meters will not be left out.
4: I think this this is a is a blunt tool to a certain extent because first of all, this is going to cost the state 170 million euros, which it doesn't happen happen. So we will get a loan of that money as a state to pay for this. Secondly, it's not been targeted at those who most need it, so low and middle income earners. People like Michael O'Leary and, and J.P. McManus will get it whether they like it or not, uh, which is an incredible thing. Uh, we should have it targeted at low and min- middle income earners. Uh, Robert stated there a little while ago that this has all got to do with market prices. It's not. The government themselves have actually added to the price of fuel, both at the pumps and electricity uh, as well. And that's because they've introduced a very blunt tax in the way that they're introducing carbon taxes. Carbon taxes are set years in advance. But do you accept that carbon tax is is a very small...
0: is a very small amount of, of the increase in fuel taxes, well, and is not on electricity. And per- it's not on home heating. I, 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 I have no problem with,
4: with the idea of of carbon fuels increasing in price over time. But the idea of carbon tax is to 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 get to a price to push people away from that carbon tax. But at the mark or from that fuel. But if the market has already achieved that price, well, then the carbon tax is just punitive at, at that stage. And the European Union have said in their own toolbox, they've stated that governments can look at taxes in relation to leaving the pain on, on, on people. The price of petrol at the moment in the pumps, 60% of that is tax that's going to the government.
0: Okay, well, we were talking about that uh, because... Uh, we're now hearing that the hauliers and truckers and couriers are coming to Dublin again uh, on Monday uh, in another protest against uh, those uh, huge rises in fuel prices. Um, Daily Mail is reporting today that they're threatening to block the port tunnel. And of course, this is uh, you know, hugely, hugely disruptive to traders in Dublin who've had a very, very tough year. Minister... What is the government doing to to try and engage with these protesters uh, to minimise the disruption that the people may face next Monday?
2: Well, my, my understanding is this organisation is an unofficial organisation. We don't know the management structure. We don't know or we don't have a spokesperson for this organisation. The Irish Roll Haulage Association are, has disassociated themselves with this. And I would ask the people who are behind it to reconsider, because at the end of the day, the people who are going to be most adversely affected are the businesses in the city centre who are already have gone through a horrendous uh, 20 months. The government is engaging with the official representative body for the Roll haulage. Uh, so- Association. Um, they met on Friday. Minister Hildegard Nocton, Minister uh, Eamon Ryan. But, but
0: are we right in saying that that, that the Road Holders Association are not part of this this proposed protest on Monday?
2: That is correct. That is correct. So, they have disassociated themselves uh, from this protest on Monday. But,
4: but, uh, and what, what I would be encouraging whoever is behind it to so reconsider... Are you saying we
0: don't know who is behind this protest? But
4: see, it, in many ways, I think this is like the farmers' protest in, yeah. the, in that what's happened is that there is an unofficial response to it. But this this will be an official traffic jam for tens of thousands of people trying to get to work uh, during the weekend. It, it needs to be addressed in advance. Okay. The ball is yes, in the
3: government's court and, Robert, and, I, and you know this, it is within the gift of the government uh, to ensure that this protest does not go ahead because there are hundreds of thousands of people who will be coming into Dublin City Centre for whom and the, the businesses that are trying to operate this would be absolutely devastating. I completely understand the frustration experienced by the truckers and by everybody who has to put a, a fill of fuel into their car because the rate at which it's increasing is absolutely phenomenal. These people are saying they can't afford to make a living the ball is in the government's court now you need to speak to them you need to address their concerns and you need to ensure that at this even at this late stage that the protest can be averted Okay, well, well, okay, well, okay the,
2: I, ba- the ball is in the government's court the government met with the official representative group of the Irish Road Hauliers Association on Friday evening they are not supporting this this protest and work is ongoing okay. in terms of how we can support it in terms okay. of uh, improvement to the diesel rebates the okay, that that's, I'm, I'm, I'm going to have to
0: go and just a text in to say that the full list of walk-in centres is on the HSE website and it's not fair to ask Paul Reid to recite a list of places and times for each of these on live radio. Um, that's, all. that's all from us for this week. Thanks to my guests and to you for listening. The producer was Mary O'Hagan, Kieran Dunn researched the broadcast coordinator was Elaine Conlon and Jamie Doyle was on sound. Enjoy the rest of your weekend and stay tuned for Saturday Sport with John Murray.